Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're reviewing Taika Waititi's Jojo Rabbit. We never watched it during last year's Oscar season, uh, so we watched it this week, and we're going to talk about it. We're also going to take a look at this new app that was making some headlines last week called Netflix Party. It's a website where you can download an app that lets you watch Netflix at the same time as other people in other locations and chat via chat room about what's happening in the movie. We watched Drive on it, so we'll also do a little bit of a review on that, but um, it'll be... It's just the later half of the show. Netflix Party and Drive. We're getting into that. We're going to talk about uh, movies on demand in time of quarantine or self-quarantine, like Andy and I are currently in right now, recording this episode remote. And we're, of course, going to get to the news. But before we get to all of that, I just want to catch up for a second with my co-host, Andy. How's life in self-quarantine over there? Uh, you know, I'm I'm surviving. Uh, I had one, I think I had one afternoon where I was a little... The walls were starting to close in, but uh, mostly it's been okay. I'm sure to leave the house for a burger or I, I only leave for food-based <laughs> activities and then get back. I, I went to In-N-Out today and ate it in my car nice and warm. When uh, you, so, yeah. So yeah, so I'm, I'm surviving, uh, watching lots of movies and playing lots of video games. When you leave to go get food, do you wonder to yourself, like, is this meal worth getting coronavirus? Ab- absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Christine and I have left once uh, to go get uh, boba tea, mostly because we were just dying to get out of the house one day uh, late last week, and we were like, we gotta, we gotta do something. And so I called up our, our favorite place, and sure enough, they're open. It's a super awkward experience where you just walk in and stand ten feet away from everybody else, and but I mean, it worked, and we got it. So hopefully, we're both okay. Definitely starting to get a little paranoid, thinking uh, we might have it. You know. God, I've been I've got a cough and my throat kind of hurts but yeah any, should, should, yeah <laughs> anytime you have a cough a sneeze yep a, a little bit of trouble breathing you, you feel some pain in your chest anything anytime you have like a, even an iota of a symptom yeah. you're like this is the end this this cool meal I just made doesn't quite smell right maybe something's wrong yeah all, all kinds of things so mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, we've been all right, I think. Uh, the movie industry, maybe not so much, especially over in foreign markets. Our first story this week, China shuts down all cinemas again. <laughs> so what happened here exactly? They open and then they close them? Right. So uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago, China decided to open 500 uh, theaters, which is only about 5% of the total theaters available. They have over 70,000 in the country. Um, you know, because the epidemic is under control there. It is calming down. People do go to work regularly. Um, there are no, most places are not in a kind of shelter in place or, uh, situations, uh, Wuhan itself, actually they opened like the train station and a lot of the public transit. So they're getting things under control. However, they did have a, a rise in, um, international case or cases stemming from international travel, people coming into the country. Um, and so just to make sure it, <laughs> the epidemic didn't start all over again, they sh- closed all, all the theaters again. Huh. Well, that's certainly, um, I guess not a surprise. Uh, it's definitely a bummer, uh, especially for, um, you know, theater owners. Uh, I, I read an article earlier today that said Cinemark is looking at, uh, cutting off kind of employee, well, I don't want to say employee salaries, but salaries of people who are higher up in the chain. Uh, their CEO, I think is taking a temporary pay cut. So people are kind of struggling how to figure this out, uh, but this is definitely definitely not awesome because it seemed like they were kind of coming in on the other end of this, and now suddenly they're right back into being closed and nothing happening, right? 
Right. Well, I had an, a different story in a part of our news that was uh, they were going to kind of reintroduce like the Avengers series to help kind of get people back in theater. So there was this whole thing where they were renegotiating some of these contracts that they have with the American studios on, on some of these bigger properties. And then it all just was all for, for not because they just, they closed all the theaters. Right. And it's really a bummer because China isn't, I guess their their internet kind of policies aren't quite as open as the United States and other countries. They can't just like push this stuff to online. It's not that easy for them. They have to right. jump through lots of hoops. So I don't know. I guess I hope kind of like here, maybe this will be a bit of like a, an internet revolution for them. They'll, they'll realize, hey, you know what? Maybe our policies are a little outdated and there needs to be a better way for people to access the stuff mm-hmm. at home and pay for it. But, well, I, I, th- I think they it is a little bit easy because I've, uh, let's see. Like uh, I had a friend over there, uh, I suggested Emma, and they were able to to buy it or rent it and and watch it. So, really, right? I'm I'm not sure is the to legitimacy of said um, watches, but I know that um, they're they are able to get a, a lot of things. But what was interesting about that story is that whenever American theaters start to open, they might try that same strategy of like, hey, let's take this. We're gonna bring in some of the big tent poles, like we're gonna maybe Avengers Endgame or Infinity War, Saga, something like that, to get people back in the theaters, like get like kind of supercharge the the release. So it'll be interesting once we're allowed to go to theaters again. Exactly, you know how they do that because even when they open, there will still probably be a lot of fear about gathering in large groups like that. Yeah, I think it's important to look towards, you know, kind of the future and to adapt and not just say, hey, we're going to stick to doing what we're doing. Um, an interesting case is Jason Bloom, the owner of Bloomhouse Productions, of course, who recently made The Invisible Man. Uh, when they asked him if he wanted to put stuff online after like three weeks, he said yes. And normally that's not something you'd ever do. And he said, I, I really I didn't enjoy making that decision, but it kind of is what it is. You got to, you know. You got to look forward here. You can't just say, nope, we're going to do the same thing. It always worked because what we're doing, what, what worked isn't working. I mean, the, the one of the best examples is uh, after 9-11 is when uh, baggage fees were introduced. Uh, used to be baggage, bag your bags were included. And then after the airlines tanked, this was kind of justified. Well, we need to try and uh, we have to charge more because, you know, we lost a lot of money. And now baggage fees have never left. So... Well, that's not not necessarily. Wait, hold on. Yeah, that's not no. necessarily a positive thing, but it's something that changed, and then we never went back. And that's kind of, I think, what will happen here is this: this release went. The release of things is going to be completely different once things get back to normal. Like I we're, hope, ne- we're never going to go back. I hope so, man. Like normal, normal didn't work. That's that's how I'm landing on this whole thing. If normal, if normal was working, then why are we here? You know what I mean? So maybe maybe we need some kind of new normal. Um, in other news, or one other story before we jump into Jojo Rabbit, uh, Canadian thriller Corona touted as first COVID-19 movie. Yes, Corona, filmed by Mustafa Keshvari with the tagline, Fear is a Virus. So intriguing. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, this looked like some low-budget student film stuff, man. It really does. Right. Well, well, so what this is, well, first of all, th- this isn't necessarily taking advantage of the situation. What this film is about is explores discrimination uh, amongst uh, Chinese people, Chinese Americans. Um, and it's a trapped in, in the elevator drama, uh, which apparently is very cheap to shoot. This was shot, I guess, last month. And uh, it's not being released right now. That would be incredibly insensitive at the kind of the height of this pandemic. Um it's just being shopped around to different distributors for later kind of distribution. Um, and like I said, it, it's not um, 
what do we what do we call it before tragic tragic exploitation yeah tragedy uh, yeah tragedy exploitation yeah you know it's exploring uh kind of bias and discrimination mm-hmm. uh so that's that's something that that i i can be okay with like i said it is it won't be out for a while i'm sure and it, it looks like a kind of straight to streaming uh, thing, but it is, is as the title says, it's the first uh, movie. And I thought that there's going to be people making movies about this. This, yeah, stuff. it seems a little co- coincidental that the title is just Corona <laughs> and the tagline is "Fear is a virus." I mean, it's hard not to kind of play into this stuff when you're releasing a film, and the timing is almost too perfect. Yeah, to be fair, uh, Keshvari, the director, said the idea came to him when he was in an elevator reading news about Chinese tourists being attacked, um, and this was back in you know like November and December and January before it had really grown into a global thing. It takes it takes time to make a movie. You don't just get in front of it. Um, but yeah, his idea was I'm going to make a movie in an elevator, which as somebody uh, who shot his final student film for college uh, in an elevator, I could say shooting in an elevator is definitely some cheap cop-out tactics. <laughs> uh, you can look at the movie Devil as another example of a recently released elevator. And that was a while back. But anyway, uh, yeah, here's the tag. Here's, here's kind of the plot of the film. Corona follows six unlikely neighbors stranded in their building's elevator at the first stages of the COVID-19 crisis. They quickly suspect a seventh neighbor, uh, a Chinese newcomer, uh, of having the coronavirus and likely to infect them after she also boards the elevator. They all get on the elevator. Chinese woman gets on. Elevator gets stuck. Suddenly, uh-oh, I don't want to get coronavirus. This sounds more like a short film, really. And looking at the poster, it definitely looks like a short film. So... I don't, I don't think a whole lot of this. I don't think anybody's going to think a whole lot of this. There is a trailer online you can watch. Um, yeah, it's pretty chill, I think. Yes. When Well, and what I was thinking about this kind of thing, um, it's very easy to exploit an, any tragedy. Um, and yeah. It's, and I always have problems with these movies when they come out so soon, not because of insensitivity, but just because, like, I, I was there. I live through the event. I don't need to. What What am I going to learn? What What are you gonna What am I going to learn through this right. through this film? Which is why I think it's much more appropriate for documentaries. Yeah, um, that's much more. In, in fact, I was just thinking. I don't know. Is there a nine eleven documentary? Is there like the official nine eleven documentary? Because I know there's been a slew of, you know, fictional films. I don't know if there's any one. I, it's hard to. Say. I mean, I guess not. If you can't think of one off the top of your head, and I can't, I have a hard time saying there's just a standard issue nine eleven documentary. Yeah, like how is there not like an eight ten part series? It's a good point. How has HBO not covered that? How is there not nine eleven the series? I'm sure there's like C- CNN or somebody has a limited series or something you can watch, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Who knows? Anyway, uh, that's about it for the news. We have another story, but we're going to talk about it in between our two reviews here. Uh, For now, we should jump into our first film of the episode. The movie is Taika Waititi's Jojo Rabbit. Jojo Rabbit is the story of a young boy, uh, Johan, or Jojo, as he's referred to in the film, a 10-year-old who is enlisted in Hitler's army in uh, Germany right at the height of World War II. Uh, Jojo is a very excitable young boy. He's very much excited, looking forward to being in the world's greatest army and, and being... Uh, uh, you know, a, a part a part of the master race, of course. I think like any 10-year-old probably would be. And he's stunned when he finds out his single mother is hiding a Jewish girl in their home. And that's when he really starts to question the world around him uh, and, and certainly question his, his 
invisible friend, uh, <laughs> Adolf Hitler, uh, played by director Taika Waititi. Uh, it is a film made out of, I want to say New Zealand, because that's where Taika Waititi is from, and that's kind of his whole thing. But they, I think they actually went, no, they went to Czechoslovakia to shoot this. That's that's where they shot this film, it says at the mm-hmm. end of the credits. Uh, it is a comedy. I, I, I guess I feel pretty good about saying it's a dark comedy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely supposed to lean more towards being childish and funny, but it go it goes some places because it, it is the dramedy. Of world, yeah, it's a dramedy. It, there's some <laughs> violence, I would say. Uh, it is a, a heck of a film. It was nominated for a bunch of Oscars last year. It didn't win many, but even still, um, you know, I I think we thought at least me I, I thought it'd be cool to watch a movie about a kind of a humorous take on an unhumorous time. I thought maybe that would be encouraging since we're all staying in with not a whole lot to do in what is a very serious time. Maybe there's, maybe there's a funny way to look at things. So, uh, obviously world war two is no standing for coronavirus. I'm curious to see what you thought though. Andy, what did you think of Jojo rabbit? Well, uh, there's a lot to un- unpack here. And what I wanted to first say is that, uh, this movie was really divisive or really polarizing in a lot of circles. I either heard that it was great and brilliant or I heard that it was not taking its material seriously enough and it was offensive. And so I, and I mean, I heard a uh, Robbie Collin who, who sits in for Mark Kermode on that show. I mean, he had a scathing review. I'll send it to you uh, sometime. Cause he, um, he, he didn't like the premise. He didn't like anything about the film. He thought it was in poor taste and all that. And a lot of people have felt that way. And I, there are <clears throat> people who like got up and walked out. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah. So, I did not feel that way. However, at the start of it, I did see where people might because it, it takes everything and, and it is very cartoonish. You know, you you have, you know, imaginary friend Adolf Hitler. You have this whole thing with the Hitler youth where, you know, it's like <laughs> Cub Scouts. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, ha- you have a, a Sam Rockwell kind of as a comedic figure, Rebel yeah, Wilson as there's a comedic. Secretly closeted gay Nazis. There's jokes about nazi clones like there's a lot going on in this movie right and if and i, and I imagine especially if you are if you are jewish and like th- these are the people that are being talked about because there's this whole thing about like oh they have horns and they sleep upside down if you are if though if you're the person that they're talking about i can understand how that even in this setting it may not be funny however once the movie gets going, once we we kind of have this setup, and once Jojo discovers uh, that his mother's hiding this Jewish girl, the movie I, I think really finds its legs. And uh, in the end, I thought it was really moving, really powerful, um, and and did it reminded me a lot of Life Is Beautiful, the uh, nineteen ninety seven Roberto Benigni film, which is also it's a comedy about the Holocaust, yeah. um, or rather it has comedics it uses comedy to tell very powerful stories, and that's what we have here here too because. You know, it touches on themes of of race and prejudice and discrimination and propaganda and indoctrination because, I mean, all Jojo wants to do is be a, a great Nazi, a, you know, join the army and fight for the cause. And right. I mean, he's he's a total fanatic. He's totally I mean, even his own mother can't get him to, like, chill out a little bit. Uh, about everything so in the end I, I thought the film was really moving and really powerful and I, w- I was worried it initially but it it really finds it's like and it's really after kind of the the initial setup we don't really see a lot of that kind of stuff right anymore. uh I, I feel the same way I, I i really enjoyed this movie i i need to watch it again uh, in a lot of ways it reminded me of something like black Klansman. 
and then it's a very very serious subject that's being tackled in a very humorous way and it's got such an offbeat kind of tone to it it's really hard to dial into that first time around watching it it's a little confusing uh just tonally you're because you're like oh god like we got hitler joking about plot attempts on him but like he's talking to a 10 year old and it's kind of funny and like i you know the the presentation is all comedy but the subject matter is so serious um and just as a little bit of background on this before we get into it like when, when taika watiti uh directed what we do in the shadows that was kind of his first big film out of new zealand that was the uh, vampire mockumentary made in the style of The Office uh, that is now in a series on FX. It's been adapted. Um, that was obviously very weird and bombastic, and people were like, well, that's really strange, but very funny, and it made him who he is today. He went on to do The Hunt for the Wilder People, which is a very New Zealand-centric film that not too many people saw, but still very kind, uh, about a kid, uh, a young kid kind of discovering themselves, so a lot of heart there. Um, but he's a very kind of childish director that way. He made... Thor Ragnarok, which was the most recent Thor film, and that was really where mainstream audiences started to see him and kind of get into what he's doing, but that's still a very comic book film. But then, kind of towards the end of post-production on that, I think they he announced he was doing this movie called Jojo Rabbit, which was a, a Nazi satire. And I want to say we talked about it on the show at some point. I probably yeah. brought it up because yeah, it was so outrageous. Like, you're doing what? And he said, yeah, I'm going to play Hitler in it even though I look nothing like Adolf Hitler and I'm from New Zealand and like, it's just, just this completely whack idea. Um, and it just seems so crazy, but like he really seems to know what he's doing. This does not seem like a movie that was made by somebody who just was kind of like, yeah, this script seems cool. I'll take this. Like he really put a lot of heart into it and he, he pulls out the stops in the directing. Like he really does. There's a lot of powerful imagery in this movie. Yeah. I, um, I was really surprised at that as well. Well, not surprised, but it shows we've, we've seen a director, but essentially mature over a number of films. Uh, what we do in the shadows to hunt for the wilder people, Thor Ragnarok. And then to see him do, Essentially, because of how successful the, his past films have been, he's now kind of has a blank slate to do something really free and artistic. And then you see how good he is at what he does. Yeah, he's he's very good. This movie is very well directed and, and also very, I mean, just very well acted, very well shot. The pacing's fun. The editing's tight. Like, I had a lot of fun watching this movie. The lighting's really good in this movie. Um, so we should probably just get into kind of talking about that and then we'll swing back around to Taika Waititi and what he's got, what he's got coming up next. But let's first talk about our performances. Of course, uh, our, our lead Jojo is played by a young, what is his name? Roman Griffin Davis. Who's an 11 year old boy out of the UK. This is his first big breakout role. He has lightning yellow blonde hair that is always a mess and he's very excitable and he's just the kid. The kid is like the very definition of being a kid. Uh, doesn't really understand the world around him, but wants to be a part of something great. So when naturally your country says, we'll take up arms and join, join the master race. You're like, yeah, I'm going to do that. And it, he's got friends that do it. And like to him going to going to Nazi training camp for the weekend is like a super, a super important, but like very exciting, fun thing. to do. It's like joining the boy Scouts. Like yeah. it's fundamentally the same presented in the same way. Um, kind of all, all of this idea of, of bloodshed and murder is kind of left off the table until you get about halfway through the weekend at the beginning of the film. And then it's like, oh, hey, uh, you know, murder murder this animal, please. <laughs> it yeah. starts to get really hardcore. <laughs> there's there's a great scene where, where jo you know, Jojo wants to fit in and, you know, some of the older guys are, do you like killing? Kill this rabbit. And he, he's like, oh, I love killing. <laughs> I do, you know. Yeah, sure. He doesn't Which know doesn't... what he's doing. He doesn't right. know what he's saying. Right, he's horrified at the idea of that, and and it really kind of speaks to the heart of the character, which Roman Griffin Davis, I think, really, 
really does a great job of just landing as a kid. It's not easy to direct a child actor, and, like, this kid does it great. Like, he totally lands in the spot. Um, we've got Sam Rockwell uh, as Captain Klenzendorf. Uh, I'm not sure that's how you pronounce it in the, in the <laughs> film, but he, he is the kind of local Nazi leader who's who's blind in one eye because he was injured in battle, and he's a drunk, and he's... Probably gay, he's, he's I think. Been, he's been demoted a number yes. of times. Uh, and he's very bitter, And but he's just kind of this goofy uh, Nazi character who's who's running this training camp, and he's miserable and doesn't want to be there, which is funny. Uh, we've got Rebel Wilson and Alfie Allen supporting, uh, who are both very funny Nazis as well. Uh, very quiet and very nuanced. Scarlett Johansson plays JoJo's mom, uh, Rosie, who is a single mother. Her husband, husband has been shipped off to war on the other side of Germany, but also a Nazi. Um, and we have uh, Taika Waititi as Roman Griffin Davis's uh, JoJo's, I should say. This is getting confusing. Taika Waititi, the director, plays Hitler, Adolf Hitler, a- as JoJo's imaginary friend. JoJo imagines his friend Hitler. He, you know, his, his number one friend, he says at the beginning of the movie, is, is Hitler. Um, obviously he's never met him, but this is, this is how he imagines Hitler to be. And he's, he's a very, very charming Hitler, probably too charming. Um, you know, he got his, when, when Jojo's feeling sad in the woods after somebody asked him to kill a, kill a rabbit and he has some trouble making it happen. Taika Waititi just kind of strolls into frame as Hitler with his stupid mustache. And he's why, why so glum, buddy? You know, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Oh, did those Nazis say they didn't like you? Well, I'm sorry. You know, um, very affable Hitler, um. Yeah, he, he's essentially so a foil for for Jojo's um, conscience, you know, or kind of his his yeah. inner inner dialogue. He's it's his like that, yeah. right? It's that personified, um, and and equally, just like uh, Jojo's ten year old, his his imaginary Hitler has about the same understanding of the world as the ten year old mm-hmm. as well. You know, it's not like the ghost of Hitler or anything else. Um, I definitely no. want to talk about uh, Scarlett jo- uh, Johansson's um, performance. She was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Or maybe it was lead actress in this. Uh, anyways, uh, but she does give a really moving uh, performance as uh, uh, JoJo's mom. But but she's all mostly because she's trying to. She sees how fanaticized JoJo is, and she's trying to kind of steer him away from this. Trying to like, you know, and and he's so far like like she and she feels helpless that he that she can't like turn him kind of away from this. And he's such a, you know, such a fanatic and wants to belong to all this, this stuff. And, um, it's really heartbreaking, but you know, she really tries hard to try to get the message across as best as she can. Right. Like it's, it's again, a very nuanced performance. She's not overly bombastic and she's not too quiet. She's kind of right where she needs to be. She goes to work. Jojo runs around doing his, his Nazi thing during the day. Cause she has nobody to watch him. That's basically her childcare. And she comes home and she spends time with him. And in the morning she's gone, you know, and that's just she's not actually in the movie all that much. But when she's there, she acts as this fantastic kind of support for Jojo, even though he feels like he doesn't need it. He wants to be this tough kid. You know, he's part of the master race. And she's like, you're not. You're just a kid. You're just a 10 year old. Slow down. You know, like you're you don't understand really what's happening around you. You don't really understand the violence and everything, you know, she knows he's not, he's not a Nazi. He just kind of really wants to be a part of something bigger. It's a club, right? As described by our, our hidden Jewish girl, uh, played by Thomas and McKenzie, who's wonderful. Uh, she, she plays a girl named Elsa who Jojo finds in his house. His mother, Scarlett Johansson has been hiding a Jew gasp, you know, and, and now, uh, he has to decide whether or not to report her or keep it to himself. 
Right. And uh, the, this kind of br- brings up our, our kind of plot situation where we get, we get kind of a three stooges uh, moment where, you know, Jojo can't tell his mom or because he, you know, she's an older girl. She's, she's very pretty. So, you know, he's naturally attracted to her, but he's, he knows that he's supposed to hate her. Um, you know, so he's like, well, I can't tell because then you'll tell on me and then we'll, then I'll get told, like basically everyone will get in trouble if, if people tell you know, uh, Sarah Johansson's character that, that they know that there's someone hiding in the attic. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's this kind of comedic situation where the, everyone has to pretend like they don't know that the other person is there. And, and what we get is a number of scenes between uh, Elsa and Jojo, um, you know, where Jojo wants to say, tell me all the secrets of, of the Jews. Do, are, are they bats? Do they sleep upside down? And all these like ridiculous kind of things that are laughable, <laughs> laughable but yeah, they you have know, scales and they fly and like just ridiculous. Yeah. Right, but that was you know probably like part of legitimate. Uh, oh yeah, pro- definitely pro- yeah. propaganda and all that, and so it's, you know, it's kind of a battle uh, of ideals um, that that happens, and that that's a really important part of the film. Um, and then there's other, I don't, I don't want to touch on too much of that, but there's other developments. Uh, there's uh, with what Scarlett Johansson does with her day, where she actually works, how she's spending her time. There's, uh, you know, possible SS. There's, I mean, because th- we are in a Nazi-occupied place. There is always danger of the Gestapo or the SS coming by to take people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think so much of it works as kind of a larger, very serious movie because Jojo has to confront his kind of blind faith for, you know, the Nazis versus this very real person who's in front of him, right? We have a very real girl and a very real house with a very real mother who will very, very be murdered in a very real fashion. If she's discovered to be harboring a, a, a Jewish girl, a Jojo probably will be too. So he's forced to kind of decide, okay, wait, what do I believe here? Do I believe this girl who is here, who I can talk to, who is real? Or do I believe far away? My imaginary friend is, fighting the good fight for me and for everybody else, you know? And and when he starts to kind of question why the girl is there, why would the mom have him, have her there? Why, why would his mom let her in if she's so evil? Then you start to get this fantastic kind of turn for this little 10-year-old character who, who doesn't really understand the world around him. And it's really charming. Yeah, he starts to develop this friendship with Elsa. They start to they start to kind of get along, but he still keeps it a secret and... and really struggles to connect with his mom, but they start to make progress and you just start to get this fantastic kind of growth of a character it's juxtaposed against the crumbling of a, of a nation <laughs> as, right, the, yes, as that, they're losing the war. Right. I did want to mention that, that we, it, that we are in, it does play place in Germany. Um, and toward in the third act, we we get a lot more actual kind of battle scenes, a small battle scenes of like the the allies beginning to encroach and and storm and uh, kind of take take the town. Um, and so we we actually get some some you know some battle scenes uh, that were just very short, but we get some action. Um, and then this is another kind of good point of the directing is like Taika Waititi can do he can direct action and he's taken what he's you know from things like Thor and he's created some action scenes here in this which brings the war part of this uh, a lot more closer to home. Yeah, it's true. He can also direct suspense. Uh, there's a fantastic sequence when Jojo discovers the girl. It's shot like something out of a Hitchcock movie. She kind of creeps out of the creeps out of the the, the crawl space <laughs> and her hand comes out and he runs down the stairs and they get all these hard cuts. It's really well done. Like it's it's so it's so well presented because tonally you really have to nail some some tent poles here for this whole story to work and for the audience to be persuaded into believing what you're what you're presenting on screen and and 
he does a great job, man. Like he, it really does show like how far he's come as a director and where he's going to be going next. Like this movie serves as a great kind of vehicle for him to, to, to stretch his legs and he doesn't waste that space. Uh, this movie is incredibly accurate to, to history. There's a lot of trivia and little quips thrown in here about figures who were kind of higher, higher up in the Reich in the third Reich in world war two, Hitler makes a joke about assassination attempts that is surprisingly accurate. Swastikas are displayed prominently on screen like they would be at the time. Uh, the American flag, uh, that shows up a couple times only has 48 stars on it because at the time there weren't 50 States in the countries. There were only 48. Like they did their research. They didn't just phone this in. This isn't just like, you know, mm-hmm. ah, a little movie made by some people. Like they really went to the trouble and it shows. Yeah, I, I I was really really impressed with a lot of, like set, basically costuming and set decoration was really uh, top notch and I I was after the beginning I was surprised that we got as much detail as we did in the later scenes where there's like uh, you know some action some what a legitimate war scenes um, I think there's a, there's a part that's in the trailer where uh, um, JoJo's buddy uh, Yorkie uh, dro- drops like a, a an RPG and like a missile blows up like a cafe. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, it's like something out of saving private Ryan. Kid. Right. Yeah. 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 The explosions are very real and there's a lot of them towards the end of the movie. But, um, one of the things I really enjoyed about the presentation here being a, an anti hate satire, which is the tagline for the film. Uh, <laughs> they specifically wanted to kind of frame this crumbling nation as a lighthearted thing. So everybody in the film is very stylish. They're wearing very clean clothes. The costume design is very sharp, very colorful. Um, and the town they're in is pretty pretty nice and, and rosy, for all things considered, up till towards the end of the movie when things start to explode. Um, but everything ver- looks very good. It, everything looks very clean. The lawns are mowed. Like, the presentation is really almost like alternatively dystopian. And I think that's, that's gotta be on purpose, right? Um, it's a very colorful film that way. Uh, the, the costume design set design is really, really striking for being what is supposed to be the kind of the late stages of losing a war. Um, it looks fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Like the, the period piece part about this really works. Yeah. And I also enjoyed the music. Uh, the soundtrack, uh, kicks off with, uh, the Beatles, uh, oh God, I want to hold your hand. That's the track, but it's all in German and they'll have like pop songs cut throughout this film, but they're in German and, and it's just kind of charming in a way to hear something that's familiar, but from the other side, you know, I think there's something, something important there in the presentation. And ultimately I think we need to talk about the comedy before we move on. Uh, Andy, does this pass the six laugh test? Did you laugh six times? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the jokes. Uh, a lot of a lot. Most of the jokes are really good. Uh, and there's a lot of good, and they're they're clever. There's like he's like, oh, I love killing. Um, you're ten years old. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then there you know there's some stuff that that doesn't land as well, or that I think would probably land better in a large uh, if you saw it in a big group. Um, but like I said, I, I was a little worried at the beginning because it's it's like I did feel like it was taking things a little bit too lighthearted for the serious subject, but um, there's a reason for it. There's a purpose behind it and it doesn't do that the whole way. Right. It does. It does go up and down there. It's not, it's not just ex- extremely uh, nice and fun and, and sunny all the time. Uh, overall, man, I had a lot of fun watching this movie. Um, like I said, I need to watch it again. I think, I think I need to look at it a little bit more as a film essay about the time and a little bit less as like, 
a plot about a 10 year old, but I think the plot is really concrete and I think it really holds up. And if you're not trying to watch this as some kind of like historical anti hate satire film, like I think you'll just enjoy it because it's just different. It's just different. You know, you go to the movies and you see so many of the same plots and like this one just feels so unique and and it's such an interesting way to tell a story about a kid who lives in a time where it's just confusing. Um, Really, yeah, really heartfelt and really fun and and really enjoyable. I had a lot of fun watching this movie. Mm -hmm. And with that being said, uh, Andy, would you recommend Jojo Rabbit? Yes, absolutely. It's definitely one of the best films of last year. The only reason it didn't make my list is because I didn't see it. Or, you know, we can... uh, we had trouble with with screeners. Um, it is very serious. There are, I, I mean, uh, some definite content warnings. You know, it, th- despite it being a satire, there is still a lot of like anti-Semitic language in it, and and ideas as ridiculous as they are. Um, so that's and like I said, some people have had a real problem with with this film, um, and I can see why. But overall, it's a great film. It's very moving. I think it's very powerful. I, I was really surprised. It was really nice to see Taika Waititi just grow even more as a director after he's already done so much uh, good work. To see him take on a really serious subject in a really profound way, so I definitely recommend it. Uh, I would recommend it as well. Five stars. I, I, I really have four stars. <laughs> I really enjoyed this movie. Uh, yeah, I agree. The only reason it wasn't on my top 10 list is because I didn't see it last year. Uh, it, it's a lot of fun. It's currently $6 on rental. We could not find it for, for streaming on any service for free, which I'm going to be honest is a bummer. I think this movie is kind of intimidating enough with its subject matter that people probably aren't just going to spring six bucks. It should probably be on a streaming service. Yeah. Like the, the barrier to entry to see this movie needs to be lower. So more people see it. I, I think that's the deal, but it did come out last year. If you haven't seen it, check it out. If you see it on a service uh, and you're looking for something new to rent with your family while you're staying in, uh, give it a shot. Jojo Rabbit's a lot of fun. It's really not that bad. It is a little violent. It's definitely some cursing, but I think it's PG-13. Uh, you know, given that's PG-13 in 2019, so that's not going to be that's not going to be your, your dad's sure. PG-13. That's actually a good. That's a good question. I'm not uh, sure. I think it's PG-13, which is almost hard to believe. It it's is. a little it extreme is, is. Okay. sometimes. So, but it, okay, it is PG-13. I'd say a hard PG-13. Yeah. I, I feel pretty good about saying that. <sighs> so that's Jojo Rabbit. And with that being said, we should move on to our next segment, one of our favorites on the show. <laughs> if you've never listened before, this is where we discuss uh, the things that are killing the theater business. Movies, theaters, all in between. Film in general. And what is this segment called, Andy? This is the death of cinema. Might be the best death of cinema intro we've ever (laughs) That's right. I'll be honest. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Andy, please, you found this story. Uh, Kind of get into this for us a little bit, would you? Yeah. Yeah. So with, uh, because of the pandemic and because the closure of theaters and large gatherings, a number of films have been uh, kind of just scrubbed from their release slate. And some things have found a home on uh, either streaming service or video on demand for rental. Uh, but what are people actually willing to, to pay? Uh, some of these top tier titles, some things like uh, Birds of Prey or Onward or like we, we tried to watch The Hunt are lit. You can rent them for 20 bucks a pop, which seems which is a little steep. But after uh, we're reading this article came out in The Hollywood Reporter that most Americans really want to pay around between six and eight dollars. So th- there's a big discrepancy even for in-home new releases. 
Oh, sorry. Am I supposed to take it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Zach. You were on a roll. Okay. Yes. Sorry. So, yeah, we, we, we kind of started talking about this last week when we ended up watching, um, well, we were going to watch The Hunt on Amazon Prime <laughs> Video Cinema, I think is what it's called. Cinema Video? Something. The name is terrible. Uh, terribly confusing. Uh, the Hunt was listed as one of a handful of films that Amazon is now offering on their Prime video service for rental for an additional cost. Uh, they're offering these movies right out of movie theaters. They're things you would be able to see now if movie theaters were open, but you can't. But you can watch them on Amazon Prime now for the low, low cost of 18 to 20 dollars. <laughs> that's what <laughs> that's what ugh, that's what people are running for these things. And if you haven't seen like Emma and you have a family of like six that really wants to see it. 20 bucks is probably okay, but if it's like one or two of you, or maybe even three or four of you, and the movie is something like The Hunt, which doesn't look that awesome anyway, that might be a hard price to swallow. It's a lot. That's a lot for an in-home movie <laughs> rental. Yeah, and it turns out people are more interested in something like $6 than they are 20 at least according to the study. Uh, we are too. <laughs> yeah, think, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, it, that's part of, I guess, uh, what business is. It's finding the balance between what you're willing to sell something and what people are willing to pay. And like you said, it's it's very, very situational. If you have a family of four or five, then, yeah, a $20 rental is great. That's, that's saving money compared to going out to the theater. Sure. Um, but if you're by yourself... Th- you know that's just, that's twenty bucks, or if you know you're not gonna have anyone to to watch with, that it's still twenty bucks for you know what are largely kind of mediocre releases because none none of the big releases have have gone forward like um you know James I talked about maybe James Bond I forget what it's called even die, die another day don't die something <laughs> no time to die no time to die um. I'm a 28th film in the James Bond franchise. You can't even remember the name, Andy. Good Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I might've paid $20 for that, but really I would have hated doing it because it's, it's still pretty pricey. And so what, what people are wanting, it doesn't matter if it's basically people don't care if it's a new release or an old release, a rental should be like six to $7 and no one wants to pay any more than that. I, I think I could, there is an argument if something is a brand new hot title, I might, you know, be inclined to pay a little bit more, maybe eight, maybe nine. Um, but 20 is kind of out of the question, I think, for mo- most people. So I've got some numbers here. Just going to throw them at you, see how you feel. All right. Tell, tell me what you get out of these. There have been some surveys done, of course, because we're in a time of a pandemic and economic insecurity. And that's a big part of this, paying $20 to watch a movie. Yeah. Um, obviously, people have been asking folks, what do you think of this stuff? You know, where do you land on this? So 40% of people surveyed said they'd be more likely to rent movies at home right now. 40% is pretty good. 35% also said they'd be less likely. So that's pretty much a wash. 30% of respondents said in a survey they'd be likely to subscribe to a TV streaming service like Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime to watch their stuff. 35% said they'd be less likely. Also a wash. Younger audiences said they'd be more likely to sign up for a service. Older audiences said they wouldn't. Like, the numbers just don't seem to really even out here to, to justifying, hey, there's a huge place in the market space for $20 movie rentals at home. The only the only logical answer is, A, nobody's doing it, and B, you can't get them anywhere else. 
I think what's going to be really interesting about this is when Trolls World Tour comes out. That's going to be coming out April 10th. I don't think that's been pushed back, and that's going straight to digital. That is a children's film. That is a sequel to a very popular children's film, or pretty popular at least. Yeah. People are going to want to see that. Families are going to want to see that, and I am going to want to see the numbers on that movie because I think that will be a much better litmus test for how this whole thing is going to work because so far, I mean, Amazon hasn't dumped numbers, but I don't think it's working that well. Well, and it's also movies we don't really want to see or things that we already have seen like Emma or things we don't want to like The Hunt uh, and Trolls. Uh, I was reading that, too. I didn't realize the first one as, was as uh, successful as it was. This will be a good test. But like I said, that that's aimed at kids, which is kind of inherently going to be a family affair. So 20 bucks is going to be fine for, you know, a parent and child or a parent and multiple children or multiple parents. Um, so that that's going to be a little bit different. But I think maybe you need a tiered system maybe you have the you know the $6 new release $8 new release the $10 new release the $20 new release something like that the other option that i've seen is an interesting case in Jesse Eisenberg and Imogen Poots's new film Vivarium uh which was supposed to have a small theatrical release and then just got uh kicked straight to streaming with right. uh and so they're not even so that you can rent that for 7 bucks right which and by the Go ahead. And that, that to me, that's reasonable for yes. for a, a brand new release, not out anywhere for in any theater. Seven to eight bucks, I can I can be okay with that. Right. Which, by the way, uh, we were talking about this before the show. We want to watch Vivarium at some point because as a movie, it looks kind of interesting, but nobody's heard of it. So if you get a chance, go watch the trailer for Vivarium and then tell us what you think on Facebook or or write us. We'll have contact info at the end of the show. That movie looks whack. Anyway. I, I think the problem here is is just it's got to be in the asking price because the service makes sense. It makes sense. You can watch Trolls World Tour now at home. Their families are going to be all about that, man. They're going to be all about it. But 20 bucks is too high. And, and I think the idea here is that we're offsetting the cost because you can watch it at home and you don't have to pay for multiple tickets, right? 10 people could watch Trolls World Tour for the price of $20. That beats any movie theater in, in the world. No no theater is running that movie that cheap for that many people to watch it. There's no way. But they, they need to flip this idea that being at home is a convenience for us, and they need to understand that it's a convenience for distributors. Like, And, and $20 is just too much. Like, People don't want to pay that. Well, well and again, the, the Netflix model is you, know, you pay 10 or 12 bucks, and you get thousands of movies and TV series. So you're asking someone to pay nearly double that, for one film, like unfortunately, you you got to compete with streaming, and streaming is you know the hot price is around ten bucks or less. Now, now it's worth mentioning a long time ago on the show, probably a year or two ago, I, there was a service that was being offered, or the people were, I guess some distributors were talking about putting together a service that would offer movies at home that are in theaters. You can watch them at home on a custom app, and I think the asking price back then was thirty five dollars, thirty five bucks a movie. And I remember we talked about it way back when, and we said like nobody's going to do that. Like, I, I get why it's priced that way, but, like, there's no way. $35? And this is a significant step down from that. I think whoever put together this Prime Cinema service probably thought to themselves, you know what? That's definitely not going to work. It's got to be cheaper, but we can't go much cheaper than this. For all I know, Amazon might be taking a haircut on this whole thing. They might be losing money. But $20 is just not not the sweet spot for this. I, th- I think there's a better spot where you price lower and more people buy it because it's lower and you make just as much money, if not more. That's what I right. think. It's like, it's like when MoviePass knocked their pricing down from $50 to 10 and they could not keep up with the number of people signing up. Like there's 
there's a number in there that you could hit that people would absolutely spring for again and again, and you'd be on your way. Yeah, and and I think um, also also like you've said, uh, sorry, thirty five dollars is too much. Uh, d- oh, getting back to tiered pricing. That's sorry, I lost my train of thought. Yeah. There are some things like I think this Trolls World Tour. You can definitely price. You can put a premium on it, twenty bucks. And then there's, I, I think the distributive model means you don't. Ha- it doesn't have to be uniform. And that's that's the thing about theaters is theaters do theaters have to say okay all these tickets these you know 9 a.m tickets are six bucks 9 p.m tickets are 12 bucks uh like and you kind of don't have a choice but with this new model you could you know let's say this movie's like it's good it's not a big hit uh release it for 12 or release it for eight release it for 15 like you could you could you could change it Mm -hmm. and and instead we just have one offer. I mean, maybe this maybe this opens up a place for market competition, right? Maybe some other new app will come along and say, "Hey, well, we'll it's, do this at this price." It's mostly controlled by the studio, and so it, I think it is just this one studio that's doing it. But I th- others will follow suit, and they'll see what is and isn't working. Like I said, Vivarium is seven dollars, sure. Uh, so that's a, a starting point, and that's something different. That's obviously not going to be a big film. Yeah. And I mean, for every service that's for for the ninety nine percent, there's also a service for the one. It's worth mentioning. There's a service called Red Carpet Home Cinema, among others. There's one called Prima Cinema, where you can rent movies at home, but there are like three thousand dollars a run, and they, <laughs> yeah. you run them in like your media home in your mansion, right? Like that's th- those are the people running those movies. We're trying to figure out how to dilute this down for you know the rest of us. Those average Joes who listen to cool podcasts and subscribe, like off script cinema, uh, and and man, they just have not not landed on it yet. So I guess it is what it is. I don't know. I I, I don't I don't have many more hot takes about this. Andy, how about you? Yeah, well, we'll see what's going to happen because um, I mean, theaters are going to be closed probably for a while, possibly through like May and into June. So uh, I mean, luckily that the you know. They can experiment around, see what works, see what what doesn't work. Um, you know, they got a lot of big titles. I saw even more things are getting moved or, you know, being shelved or the production of, of things is being put on hold. So, you know, we're oh, gonna, man. <laughs> streaming yeah. and rentals is what it's going to be about for a while. Man, that reminds me. I saw this headline earlier today, and I probably should have stuck this in news, but Ghostbusters 2021, Ghostbusters 2020, the new Ghostbusters movie, is supposed to come out in March uh, no, I'm sorry, May uh, this year. It got pushed back to July next year. Ah, oh, man, I was all stoked for that movie. Now i got to wait a year. Stupid coronavirus. <laughs> anyway, we should probably talk about our final film of the episode. Uh, we'll keep an eye on this, and we'll report back. Trolls 2 comes out April 10th, so I think that'll give us actually a much better idea of like kind of the viability of this service. Until then, keep it here on Offscript for more film and movie news. Andy, we watched a movie on an app. That's right. <laughs> on Netflix, wanna... on an app. Yes. Uh, should we talk about this experience first, or should we talk about... I guess we should, and then talk about Drive. Does that make the most yeah, sense? Yeah, let's, let's do that. Great. Okay. Uh, well, please, t- take it away. Drive. So uh, what we decided to do is check out the Netflix party app and see how it worked, see how how we got to put together and the experience uh, of using it. So 
what it what it does for those of you who don't know is uh, the Netflix Party app is a Chrome extension, so you have to have the Google Chrome browser, yes, um, and you install the extension there, and then you have to actually watch on either a computer or. A, or, or a laptop or desktop, you go to netflix.com, you start your, your favorite show, you can then click the uh, the extension, you get a link, you can send that link to 50 of your closest friends, and you can all start watching a movie in sync. And right. while... It- and- Go ahead. And while that happens, it also presents a chat bar in the right side of the screen for commentary and what else. Yes. Uh, it sounds confusing. I promise you go to NetflixParty.com and it's like six clicks away and you're already on watching Netflix. It is actually very easy to use. But like like we said, the only real inhibitors here, you have to be using Google Chrome. And as far as I know, you have to be on a desktop computer or a laptop, but like yeah. you have to be on a full fledged computer. I, I don't think you can do it on your phone. You yeah. can't do it on like an Xbox on a home entertainment center unless you have a full on computer hooked up to it. It's not going to work. And that is one of a handful of limitations. But let's talk about the positives. What works in Netflix Party? Um, Andy, you had this idea and you, you sent me the invite and got the whole thing kicked off. So please take it away. You go first. Uh, what, do you, what do you think of this thing? Watch, watching a whole movie on it. Right. So it, it took me a little bit to get set up because I, I did want to connect my computer. I did end up connecting my laptop to my TV. And I had to fiddle with, with some settings on the TV, and then I connected it through the Xbox. So there was a little bit of finagling I had to do. But once it was up, set up and running, uh, I thought it worked really well. And it, it is, once you have everything installed, it's super easy. You just start, start the movie, you know, you click on the Netflix party icon, it gives you a link, you just send that out. And everyone can join. Um, and then it's, you know, you just wait for everyone to pop into the chat, and then you, you start the movie. Um, and it, it works really well and it, it of course syncs everyone um, up and then uh, yeah I, I thought it worked really well and it was fun to, to chat alongside you know uh, Zach and I had had some uh, we had some in-depth film like analysis going on but then we were also cracking jokes about what, what was happening and you know Ryan Gosling's like ridiculous jacket in the film right um, yeah, on, on the kind of receiving end of it, because Andy set it up and just sent me a link, I had to go to NetflixParty.com. I had to install it in my Google Chrome browser, which is, again, like two clicks, super easy. It pretty much does all the work for you. Um, I waited for him to send me a link. Uh, I opened the link. It opens up Netflix. I was already logged in on my computer, so that worked fine. It comes up with Netflix on the one side and just a little chat bar on the right. Now, that does constrict the size of your film because it has to squeeze it into the window next to the chat bar. But if you don't really care or you, I mean, you probably don't. You're right. You're, you're chatting with people while you're watching a movie. You're not really tuned into the cinematic experience here. But uh, your chat bar works great. You got a couple avatars you can choose from. You picked uh, an avatar that looks like Deadpool and I picked one that looks like Goofy from uh, Disney, which is cool. <laughs> Uh, you get a little nickname you can put in there. You can't send images. You can send emojis and you can send text. There's no cameras. There's no voice. It's just text chat while you're watching a movie and it syncs your movies. So you both watch them at the same time. Um, it records this to your Netflix account that you watch the movie. Like it, it, it functions exactly like Netflix would just with a text box next to it. So you can chat. And man, I really enjoyed it. I, I a little bit thought I was like, this might be distracting, but Andy and I, we're, we're, Quality cinema goers. And if there's anything he and I understand, it's that you keep your comments to yourself until the moment is right, which is exactly what we did. Any, anytime the movie was intense, we were like super chill. And anytime it was like a bit we could talk, we did. And it was, it was cool. But man, I had a lot of fun watching it. It was different. And it was it was a little bit more social. And it made me 
actively type out little quips and things I normally notice about a movie, but are out of my head by the time we hit the credits. You know, I'll notice something in a, in a, in a picture and think, oh, that, that's a really cool thing. And then I forget about it. But watching it with you, it was like making a, a, taking a stance and making an observation. It was great for kind of keeping notes on your thoughts during a film, actually. Um, and probably a lot of fun to work with multiple people. I know you said you had used it outside of just us, right? You watched it with a couple other folks? Yeah, well, watched it with a couple other folks. We, we watched uh, Candyman, the 1992 version, um, and that was a lot of fun. We were mostly just cracking jokes uh, throughout the, the, the whole time, which was a lot of fun. Which does bring me to another point. This is probably better for movies you've already seen or things that you're familiar with as opposed to something that's brand new that you really want to focus and pay attention to because, you know, you are going to be reading things or, or typing things out. So you might m- miss something or other. So I would definitely recommend it for things that you either don't care about paying attention or that you're really familiar with already. Yeah. Less serious stuff. If you're, if you're genuinely into like watching the film, obviously having a, a chat room up while you're doing it, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but yeah, if you're watching something that's direct to streaming, something you've seen before, something campy, you know, something funny, whatever, I think you'll be in a good spot. I'd imagine most of their usage is coming out of things like comedies, adventure films, rom-coms. Um, but it's interesting to note that this is not a Netflix app. This is a separate company doing this that's kind of hijacking Netflix's back end to make this work. Um, Netflix does not make this. As far as we know, they don't make any money off of it. And I know there used to be an app like this way back on the Xbox 360 a while back that would let you watch Netflix movies together with your friends and chat and do things like this. And that's defunct. That doesn't work anymore. And I'm wondering if Netflix has a problem with this kind of thing. What, what do you think? Uh, no, I mean, if they did, they they wouldn't allow it. Like they would be, you know, they'd cease and desist you and uh, they'd get it stopped if they weren't okay with it. Um, you know, and, and I think it's just... It's safe enough like you, uh, I mean, first of all, it kind of forces everyone to have an account um, because you have to be signed in to, to watch it. And it's not, it's not like the Zoom issue where, you know, I tried to watch a film over Zoom with some, with some friends and uh, we, we ran into issues there. And that, that could be potentially if we didn't all, I think we all had HBO accounts for we were trying to watch Westworld. Um, but if you didn't, like that's what they're trying to avoid. They don't want it broadcasting people who don't have the, the service. Real um, quick. Uh, real, real quick sidebar here. Uh, you tried to watch HBO over Zoom. How'd that go? I didn't hear about that. Did that work on it? Was that all right? Uh, it that sounds terrible. It didn't work the first time. It kind of worked the second time, uh, but it was still. I mean, you, you're streaming a stream, you know. So it was what right. It, we got it working, but it was just in the end. We just decided to watch on our own and then talk about it afterwards. What's the secret there? Did somebody set up a camera and aim it at their TV, or did they like? No, we, we, we OBS were, to no, you screen can screen capture. You can screen share on on Zoom, so that's all okay. all they did. <laughs> but but also but that actually worked. That also worked worse because you know we were trying to then talk over a stream, and it was it was actually. I was glad we didn't do it because I feel like it would be really distracting trying to listen to voices on that as well as like the show. Yeah, which is why I kind of like I I wouldn't mind. That's why I'm glad that like Netflix party is just text and not like video and audio or anything like yeah that. that would be more distracting i agree like only only text is kind of nice even images would probably be too distracting but man there were a couple of times i was like man i could totally throw a meme on here and <laughs> get get andy to laugh i know it um yeah ultimately netflix party is kind of cool in fact I, I think netflix should probably look into picking up a service like that for themselves it's very social it's very shareable um you know after the show we were talking about it a little bit on there and and i think you were quick to point out like you know 
this could totally work in social media. If everybody had a Netflix account and you could just post a link on Facebook and say, hey, I'm going to watch this movie, jump in and watch it with me. And anybody could pop in in the next two hours while you're watching it and chat or whatever. Like that would be so perfect. It would work so great. Mm -hmm. Um, Makes me wonder why Netflix isn't into that. I, I, I don't understand. Well, I mean, they're more into it than anyone else. No one else is doing anything like it. So that that's a step in the right direction. And also it is, you can have up to 50 people. So that is, I mean, could you imagine the chat going with 50 people? <laughs> yeah. It would just be a yeah. constant, constant stream. It would be a nightmare. Yeah, that's, that's true. I mean, you could, there's ways to grow that feature though. You could limit number of people who come in, custom avatars, nicknames. You could have little achievements and rewards for watching 10 streams or something and like make your, you know, give you... It's just like Twitch chat. Like you could really turn that into something uh, more robust, I think, and make it a really cool feature. But uh, who knows? Netflix is real busy making Tiger King. So <laughs> yeah. who knows what they'll do next? And with that, we should probably move off Netflix party, talk a little about Drive, and then wrap the show because I know we're running long. Um, I guess, do you want to reintroduce it or just take it from here? It's up to you. Well, I don't, I don't think, have we ever, I don't think we've, uh, did we ever review this? Oh God! Have we reviewed Drive? I don't. I have no idea. I have no Maybe idea we where. have. Oh no! Oh dear! <laughs> I don't know. Well, yeah. Hold on. Stand by. Stand, We're gonna... stand by. I'm gonna check real quick. Yeah. I can... Oh God! You know what? Uh, normally, I'd edit this part out. This week, I'm not doing it. I'm leaving it in. If you're hearing it, you know you made it. <laughs> this is secret, secret yeah. part of the show. Congrats! This is a uh, self self quarantine edition. No, I don't. I don't think we did. I don't see it mm. in our in our stream. I feel uh, like we talked about it at some point, but yeah, I don't think yeah. we've ever actually. Okay, I'll I'll, br- I'll briefly uh, summarize it. Please. So, so Drive is 2011's uh, film by Nicholas Winding Refn, uh, starring Ryan Gosling, uh, Carey Mulligan, Oscar Isaac in a kind of earlier role, um, and Brian Cranston. Uh, and this was kind of a, a small hit. I remember seeing this and I thought I wasn't interested. It looked like a kind of Fast and the Furious knockoff, but it turns out it's a very kind of slow burn, meditative work about Ryan Gosling's um, character. They're kind of underworld people. Uh, he's a driver, but he he kind of is, he's a getaway driver, but he also does stunts. Um, he meets Carrie Mulligan's character, who's a, a single mom with a, her husband in, is in jail. They meet, they kind of fall for each other, but things get complicated in, with the criminal underworld really soon. But there's also things, there's great car chases, there's great act, action and incredible violence uh, that kind of comes out out of nowhere but it's it's a really really artistic film that that has kind of deeper it, its characters are deep it has you know deep themes and it's it's definitely one of my favorite films and it, it's quick it's it's only an hour and 40 minutes yeah it is surprisingly fast i i told christine before we sat down to watch it i said hey uh i'm gonna be watching this movie for a while with andy on netflix party because uh, it's like two and a half hours long. No, it's like 95 minutes. It is very quick. It is a very tight picture um, and really enjoyable, man. Uh, one, one of the reviews I was looking at in kind of anticipation of revisiting this movie was that Drive is a mashup of genre and art house. That's exactly how it feels. It is half mainstream action driving mob movie violence stuff and the other half is neon lights and synthetic music and like just the coolest presentation uh of just such a simple concept such a simple movie our our, our hero doesn't even have a name he's just called driver in yeah, the credits the, like the driver right the driver yeah like so simple and 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 gosling plays this just fantastically quiet man i think he has 181 words in the whole movie <laughs> Like, he barely talks, yeah, who is just a simple stuntman by day 
uh, uh, getaway, uh, driver. getaway driver by night. Yeah, that that's his thing. And he kind of falls for this woman he lives next to in his building. And she's got a husband who's in, in with some bad people. You got yourself a movie. Like, I, man, such a simple plot. Such a, such a simple premise. Such a complex presentation, though. There's, there's so much going on in this movie that works so well. Just make Drive such a tense nail-biter of a film. Um, and I really enjoyed watching it again. I mean, I think this is probably my sixth or seventh time seeing it, and it's just a ton of fun every time. Yeah, I... I, I love so much about this film. Like uh, I couldn't stop talking about the lighting in, in a lot of the yeah, scenes. Yeah, sure. It's, it's so good. Uh, the soundtrack is so it's, it's like, it reminds me of a Scorsese or Tarantino soundtrack like that. But it's just perfect, uh, perfectly chosen. Um, but also it's, there's just so much in it thematically. Uh, this, there's this do and what I hadn't caught before. There's this duality that happens uh, like the identity of with like uh, the driver. Cause he's, you know he's stuntman by day, get a criminal by night. Uh, you know he's in he's very quiet and reserved, but also capable of an incredible violence. Um, and there's this whole theme of that which I didn't really catch uh, through earlier viewings. But man, there's just so much in there, and it's just it's shot so beautifully. Um, and the mixture of like sound and lights and and so and the writing is so tight because it, again it's very light for everyone. But you know like when he first meets um, Irene, you know, they just have the, these, these moments, these longing looks where you know what's going on. It doesn't have to be said. And there's so much of that uh, that happens throughout the movie. Yeah. Ryan Gosling and Carey Mulligan do such fantastic job of just kind of communi- communicating with their eyes. And, and those long scenes are presented with such striking, dramatic lighting and fantastic uh, uh, soundtrack. Very peaceful, just kind of ambient electronic music that just kind of rolls in under things. Um, it's, it's very antithetical to the tension in the movie, which also has a lot of bass and a lot of just kind of deep rumbling tones to really unsettle you and make you feel like things aren't right in the world of Drive. And they're not. Um, man, our, our our hero is not necessarily a good guy. Maybe not necessarily a bad guy. He kind of walks that line a little bit. And you never really get inside his head too much. Uh, you always see him at arm's length. He's never He never really lets on what he's thinking or what he's doing. So when he goes from very kind and, and, and kind-hearted and, and nice in one scene to violent driver later, it's, it's a bit of whiplash. And this movie is built on that whiplash in, in totally going in one direction, taking a real hard left turn and pulling the emergency brake and driving off in the other before you know it. And it's so much fun. It is a roller coaster of a flick to watch. Um, and I really enjoy it. Yeah. There, there's a really great line. Uh, this speaks to his character where, you know, th- there's this subplot of, of um, where his kind of handler, Shannon played by Brian Cranston wants to invest in a stock car and get into doing, you know, races and circuits and, you know, kind of make money that this way, um, and so there's a scene where where the driver's testing out the car and he gets out to meet uh, the financier played by Albert Brooks. Um, and, uh, you know, he doesn't want to shake his hand initially. He's like, you know, I'm sorry, my hands are a little dirty. And and Albert Brooks says, oh, so are mine. And it's they're not talking about grease and dirt. You know, they're talking. It's a reflection for they're criminals. Yeah. You know, and there's a lot. Again, it's that duality, that second, those hidden meanings through throughout the film. But um yeah, there's just so much in it. It's so much of it is a, is a total mystery. Mm-hmm. Things I noticed kind of watching it again here, um, man, the character of the driver is just so awesome. 
He's so cool. And something I'd never really noticed, his jacket turns inside out. <laughs> it's reversible. But the outside, the bit that he wears when he's driving, the kind of way he presents himself to the world, I think his real self is a white windbreaker with a yellow, like a highlighter yellow scorpion stitched onto the back. And it is the goofiest looking jacket you've ever seen in your life. But man, with the lighting and the pacing and Ryan Gosling wearing it, it looks so cool, man. Like you don't even look to He wears it with the collar pop, for God's sake. I was going to say, like, yeah, like no oh, one, no one looks cool. A solid cool, white could, windbreaker. Yeah. <laughs> no one could it, pull up, pull off this stupid jacket. Except it is him. so bad. And it looks so cool in this movie. And he's just, he, dude, the guy is just cold as ice. And, and it really, really works later in the film when things start to get violent. And he is unabashedly violent in response to things because he understands the world he's in. He knows what he's doing. He knows the crimes he's involved in. So when he tells people, Hey, uh, you got five minutes to pull your heist. And inside that five minutes, I got your back. And right outside of that, I don't know who you are and you don't know me, man. We don't talk. And if you do, I'm going to, I'm probably going to kill you. Um, it's really hardcore. And it, it's so fitting because our character isn't stupid. He is a smart guy who knows what he's doing, even though he's in a very ignorant situation. Uh, and, I, I, man, it's a ton of fun to watch him. Well, and he's he's introduced um, really great. And we hear the speech a couple of times because uh, at the very beginning of the film, he's just on the phone. Uh, and he says, you know, I, you get five minutes with me. Uh, you know, I, he's like, I you, anything happens either during that five minutes, I'm there. I'm like I'm not gonna leave either side of that. I'm I'm out of there. I have nothing to do. So he's got this code. He's got this rule. You get five minutes, and that's it. You make you got to make your drop, make your theft, whatever. Um, and then I'm out of there. And he's like, I don't I don't carry a gun. I don't shoot people. I'm I drive. I drive. That's my thing. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's great. And we like it's got a great open. And it reminded me a lot of, of Baby Driver. I think I might like the stunts in this better than Baby. <laughs> I was Driver. I was thinking because I have a Baby Driver poster above my. Uh, set up in here where we watch Netflix party. I was thinking about that the whole time. Like the presentation of the driver in this movie versus the driver and baby driver is so different. Baby driver. It's sunny. And he's listening to music in his car and he's tapping on the steering wheel and he's cutting it up and having fun. This no dude, he's got gloves on and he is like toothpick in his teeth and he's cold as ice and he doesn't say anything. Mm-hmm. And like, it's just, it's totally different. I think I might prefer drive this kind of version of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, super cool. Um, And then uh, just some other people that are in here. Ron Perlman's in here as one of the gangsters. Uh, Christina Hendricks plays Blanche. (laughs) Yeah, from Christina (laughs) Hendricks from Mad Men is in this. Uh, Albert Brooks, of course, is is kind of an esteemed actor, and he's been in a bunch of stuff. Namely, Finding Nemo is what I think of him. (laughs) That's what I always. That's what I always remember about his voice. And then you know, I've seen some cool, funny crossovers uh, of those two characters. And this is, and remember, this is 2011 So when this movie came out. So this is like peak Breaking Bad Brian Cranston and also peak Mad Men Christina Hendricks. So they were yeah. both doing real well in TV when this came out. Carrie Mulligan, of course, plays Irene and a very early Oscar Isaac. Uh, in uh, Isaacs? Isaac? Isaac. 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 Yeah, as, as her husband, Standard. Uh, he's just totally unexpected and really faking an accent, which I really enjoyed. Um because he just kind of plays this gangster role, and it's like you would not think this is the guy that goes on to be Poe Dameron in the new Star Wars films. Yeah, but. I, I think this was one of the first films I, I reckon. And he he has his shaved head, so he he doesn't really stand. He, no, I remember at that point he was just like a normal whoever. Like I didn't really recognize him as, as an yeah. actor at that that point. But he's um very he's a strong character, very tragic, uh, kind of doomed from the beginning. 
Yeah. Um, but really, really, really cool, man. Like I said, when we were watching it, I, one of the things I noticed was the first time you see this husband come in who you think, oh, he's in prison. He's probably, you know, left his wife watching their kid at home. Like, probably not a great guy. The first time you see him, he's he's delivering a heartfelt apology to the people around him. I'm so sorry for what I did. He thanks his wife. He gives her a hug. He's got tears in his eyes. Like, it's such a great twist on what you would expect. You would think he'd be a scumbag. And he kind of isn't. I mean, he kind of is, too. But, like, fundamentally, he's not that bad. Everybody has different shades in this movie. Even the driver, who, by day, is a nice guy, but works at the mechanic shop. You know, stand-up dude by night, doing some bad stuff. Um... But for the right reasons, I think, and like it, it just gives drive this fantastic shade of colors um, that makes it different every time you watch it. It's really enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. With that being said, uh, not quite a full review, but I'm, you know, I'm sure we'll get back to it again at some point. Andy, uh, would you recommend Drive? Absolutely. One of my favorite films of all time, uh, one of the best films of this past decade, which I think I mentioned on our on our top ten of the decade uh, show review. Um, just incredible performances by uh, everyone in there. It's a killer cast, great soundtrack. I mean, the soundtrack became a meme, the whole human being. (laughs) Yeah. Really uh, human being. Yeah. um, Thing. And it's just, it never gets old. And I've seen this movie probably 10 times and it's, it's refreshing every single time. Yeah. uh, Me too, man. I, I really enjoy this movie. If there's anybody out there that loves like car chase flicks or like, I don't want to say violent dramas, but very intense dramas. If you dig Ryan Gosling and you haven't seen this movie yet, you're you're doing yourself a disservice. It's real good. It is a very well put together film. Drive is a lot of fun. I would really recommend it. Definitely action heavy. Definitely violence heavy. If yes. you're not into content violent warning. content warning. Yeah. I like I I it's it pretty violent, man. Uh but it's a lot of fun. Like it's it's a really tight flick. And if you haven't seen it, sit down and watch it. And I, I think by the time you get to the end of it, you're gonna be really impressed um by what you see. Um Speaking of impressed, that's the show. Uh we did it, Andy. We did week, week two in uh times of pandemic. Man, cr- crazy world out there. Anyway, uh this is the part I usually fumble, the end of the show, where I talk about what we're watching <laughs> next week. We're just gonna get to that right now. Andy what are we watching next week? We are going to be looking at Coffee and Kareem, which is a new Netflix uh, comedy. This was actually supposed to come out in theaters uh, in sometime in April, but because of the theater shutdown, uh, this was bought by by Netflix and it is actually coming out this Friday. It stars uh, Ed Helms and Taraji P. Henson. I don't really know the, the plot synopsis. I just know it's a comedy um, and it's going to be on Netflix. And we're going to be Wait. looking... Wait, I got the plot stops. I know what it's about. <laughs> okay. Okay, so Coffee and Kareem is is a movie starring Ed Helms as a Detroit cop who's kind of down on his luck, but he has a new girlfriend and her son, Kareem, who he's trying to connect to. A uh, 12-year-old gets kind of tangled up in some kind of criminal thing, and the 12-year-old son, Kareem, and the Detroit cop, Coffee, have to team up and work together to to solve the crime and also connect. It's like a buddy cop movie with a kid and a, and a, a white cop. That's That's the deal. Coffee and Kareem. It's on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. The anyway. o- the other one, uh, and this is a bit of a surprise, we're going to be reviewing a small film called Tombstone Rashomon. 
And um, what, what this film is, it's a uh, kind of documentary, mockumentary of the uh, shootout of the OK Corral. So it's like a, a documentary crew interviewing uh, people like Wyatt Earp and uh, Doc Holliday, these kinds of people. And kind of how this came uh, across our, our desk is that uh, someone reached out from uh, the producer of Tri called a uh, tricoast entertainment and actually asked us to review the film so we're <laughs> going to be we were sent screeners probably we've i feel like we've hit the big time we've been sent a private screener and we're going to um uh watch this uh, movie which i which is um it's gonna it's not a big release it's gonna be going straight to uh dvd you can let's see um it will be able to You'll be able to order it online on April 21st, and I think it's going to become on video on demand platforms in July 2020. So we're getting an exclusive early look at Tombstone Rashomon, which was directed by uh, uh, Alex Cox, who uh, was in the original Repo Man from like the 80s. Right. Uh, Tombstone Rashomon appears to be a an offbeat picture i think is, is a good way to say it uh but you know what somebody reached out and said you're a prestigious podcast we want you to review our film and by god we're gonna do it <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to talk about tombstone rashomon so andy really set up this whole thing so andy thank you uh we're gonna see what it's about i guess and we'll get back to you i think there's a trailer online you're welcome to watch it we'll get back to you with the hot takes on tombstone rashomon next week and of course if you want us to review your film or maybe talk about a film you've seen recently or get our hot takes hit us up on facebook or on instagram or on youtube all that social media stuff and we're also online at offscriptfilmreview.com and you can email us at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com to tell us what you think of the show we'll read correspondence on the air we swear if you really want to let us know what you think, feel free to leave us a rating and review on iTunes or Google or Spotify or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. And of course, if there's anything you can do for the show, just subscribe. Subscribe to the show so you can get new episodes to your phone every single Tuesday because that's what we do on Offscript. Review movies every week despite coronavirus and we're excited <laughs> to keep doing it for you. So, from all of us at Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for listening. <laughs>